When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, okay. Um, so we we do need to warm up a little. And as I pointed out before, I, Tyler popped on. Uh, this is, according to the Twitter, National Horny Day. Uh, so I have to put forth like a, a question to Johnny about your character, one that the fan Discord and fans on Twitter have been hotly debating. And I just want to know, what is Travis Matigo's ass like? Is it good or is it bad? Oh, I think, okay. Because before uh, you is, answer, I want to know, you will make people mad. No, I feel like almost no matter what the answer is, you're going to make people <laughs> mad. I think it's like too good for like a man butt. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like too juicy. Mm-hmm. Too mm-hmm. juicy. Like I like this. That... <laughs> Okay, like in a <laughs> upsetting way. I don't think it's upsetting, but it's like <laughs> it's just you just like you maybe do a double take and you're like that's that's a little much. Maybe that's why he wears long coats to hide his his juicy oh. ass. Oh. Travis has just been like saving it, saving the moment where like he can whip the coke back and just like, <laughs> strike a, a quick hit. Just to make people go, oh, come on. He's wearing it, it, very it, tight pants under that coat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an anime. It's, it's He's got a, a power up. All he needs to do is strip off his coat when it's really serious <laughs> so he can show off his juicy donk. I, oh, my I get God. I think we should make sure that the restaurant closes up okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's go over there. Well, I mean, it kind of already did. Well, so, uh, no, they, they dismissed they the waiter, and the head chef's not there. Uh, so that means that somebody is closing that restaurant. It's Just all the a, rats. They're all singing, like, Oh, I love to clean the restaurant. The restaurant it is cleaning. Restaurant it's clean. It's scrubbing on the windows. Scrubbing on the chairs. Uh, I like to clean the restaurant too. <laughs> come on, my brother, who doesn't understand me. Have you finally come around to my profession? <laughs> come on, everyone can clean the restaurant. Uh, like this? <laughs> yes, you're doing it perfectly. 
Uh, okay, this scene is so calm. I want to focus on the hex where boats dock because that is where the Uhuru is. I just want to see, like, what does the transformation look like as we're going to have a capital P party? And the thing that is important about this is, like, I think that the celebration is centered around the Uhuru, not only because, like, y'all won the competition and all that, but because there is a stage kind of being erected at the same time. So I just want to know, what what, what does that look like from each of you? Just just one little, one little detail, one little morsel for me to, to worry over. Is there a curtain on the stage? There can be. The curtain's made of feather weave. So like Fuck. when it when it's time to like raise the curtain, like a fire lights sort of Ooh. at the bottom of the yeah, stage and cool. then the curtain like flies up. This is extremely dramatic. I mean, for a couple reasons, because the, the only like there is leftover feather weave on the Uhuru from what you initially captured. So this is going to be feather weave that like glows gold eventually, uh, which is pretty wild and dramatic. Uh, the thing that I need all of you to remember in other circumstances, because there is kind of a perfect excuse for it right now, Featherweave is rare and expensive and not the sort of thing that you would use to make a curtain with. Which but again, is why this is so special. This is very special. And, and this is for Bathroom Barry's one-man musical, I believe it was going to be. So... This is like we're seeing sort of a tech demonstration of how this is going to work. We see like a bunch of like little fires like spring up across the stage. In fact, I think the lower stage throughout the whole show, there's just going to be a fire there. That's what that's what Barry wants. That's how Barry initially pictured it. So, yeah, uh, we see boom, 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 boom. And the curtain rises and, and shimmers a little bit as we prepare for that to be the opening moment, what else is going on here? I like the idea and maybe not in this situation, but for like theatrical presentations, everyone is standing kind of like globe theater style. But part of that is because theater is a little bit competitive in this world. So if there is a performance going on and someone is super convinced, like I could do that better. Mm -hmm. They have the ability to like either yell out or like push an actor away and be like, oh no, it's God. me now. Anyone can Apollo anybody and just <laughs> like end their show. And it's but all you like, have to yeah, it's like all audience responses. Like, I agree. I don't think that man is Hamlet. Come on. Come on. Uh, this is an extraordinary thing to add to the universe because of kind of the established origins of theater that we already have. Uh, I, I love it. I love it. Uh, what a, what a wild thing to just be sort of tolerated culturally throughout, uh, at least the parts of sphere where, where, uh, skyships are frequented. It's the, the theater culture is, yeah, if you are sitting in the audience and you think you could do a better job, there is a way for you to sort of tag into a performance. And like um, the great actors, like I've never been replaced. Never. <laughs> yes. Try your best. <laughs> I, I, I think well, like, yeah, no, I, the, the funny part to me is that like our world's globe theater is, is at the silver chalice, which is a, an erotic theater, which is very funny to me <laughs> that, <laughs> that that is a culture that arrived out of there. 
Dude, I'm way hotter than them. I should be in this show. <laughs> Uh, good. Good. Um, I think, um, like, on, I want to, like, just add to that, Liz, where I feel like during the show, there is, like, this sort of competitive aspect of it. But if, like, I feel like if you make it to the end of the show, I feel like in the time that people are getting up and leaving, there's maybe, like, a 10 to 15, 20 minute, like, time span where, like, the stage is open. And that's where, like, a lot of if there are kids there, they usually like rush the stage and like do their version of Aww. what they just saw. Or it's like it's like a way to like, hey, did you remember this thing that you just saw? Ugh. And yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So it's it's they do the show and then there's space to do a fun through immediately yes. after the show that you just saw. <laughs> yeah. You can you can do a parody of the show that you just saw. Mm-hmm. Uh well, do they have do they have like um Pro- like props not the actual props they use for the show but like you, you know if your it was own. a sword it'd be like foam like a pool noodle or whatever to use <laughs> as swords you know what i mean i i like the idea that theater culture on sphere is just like you do the show and then there is an, an immediate invitation kind of right after to do a worse version of the show. Yeah. <laughs> and they've prepared worse costumes and props for everyone. <laughs> That's just what every show needs to do. Oh, I feel like for the actual show, there's like real props and real costumes. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. they just kind of have a bin like they have at comedy sports or whatever that they kind yes. of use for any show. That's just like, yeah. here's a bunch of crap that you can play with. Here's it started out where it's like hat. no one was like buy- when they were selling all the props from like old productions, no one was buying them. And then it just became like practice to just like, all right, we're going to hold on to them, but also like t- tear them up, fuck them up. Like give us an excuse <laughs> to like destroy these things. So then I think what this is signaling to me is that sort of night that they're putting up the production, Bathroom Barry took a look at it and decided this isn't a one man show anymore. I need a full cast. Oh. And so so the, the, there's like a last minute addition of a cast to this show <laughs> in an extremely bold and extremely bathroom berry move. Now it is a full cast production. So, you know, they're, they're setting up the stage. It's got these beautiful elements. They're preparing the post show prop boxes for the audience to have their fun with the show afterwards as is tradition as we understand is common for all sphere as is Um, canon (laughs) yeah that that's canon that's how it works (laughs) so we've we've got that Uh, are there any other details that we want to add to like this picture before i jump in with with what's going next i feel like the intro to the show is like done by uh nope never mind i was gonna say it's done by the whoever won the late latest tornado calling but we're kind of describing sphere theater culture and like as a whole instead of like ngoni well you know then we we can split the difference though and say that like bathroom barry has after watching the tornado calling here bathroom barry is like i need this for my show this is my vision (laughs) I've watched these this art of dance on stage. Okay. Like, 
I the problem with Bathroom Barry is he has this vision of a perfect show, but it's so perfect he can't even see it. Oh. And as soon as he saw dancing and tornado calling, he's like, "This is it. This is what I've been waiting for. This is how I need to open my show." It sounds like Bathroom Barry didn't really put a lot of thought into this until like the last couple minutes, and he's just kind of being inspired by whatever. <laughs> I I think he put too much yeah. thought into this. You know, like there's the difference between having like. Like the dream opus in your head and actually having to put it up and mm. realizing that, you know, in Barry's case, uh, he, he kept limiting himself and pulling back, but he keeps getting the things that he needs and then more some more so. So he's just like, yeah, well, uh, if we've got access to the dancers, let's put the dancers up. Let's get the dancers going. So yeah, all of that is happening. Like there, there is drinking and carousing around as the stage is being erected. There are tornado calling dancers like doing their warm ups, prepping to go on stage. There are people who are from the Uhuru crew, like pacing very quickly back and forth, trying to memorize their lines. I think Wendell, Wendell is there. Wendell has one line in this show and he just keeps saying it a thousand times over and over in a thousand different inflections. <laughs> Watch out. Watch out. Ouch! Watch out! Uh, just like trying, trying to to nail it perfectly. Meanwhile, nearby the stage, we see a lineup of the crew of the glass. We see Spit walking with his hands behind his back. He's clearly doing a walk by inspection. And we follow Spitz gaze down as he sees these very polished black leather shoes that everybody's wearing and a slow pan up as Spit is walking down the line. And we reveal, of course, that everyone from the glass is being dressed in stereotypical French made <gasps> outfits for the cleanup. Why do we have, have those? Have we established this? If you have to ask why I have all these, you haven't been paying attention. Okay, man. <laughs> you, know, you know why, and you know why I'm making everybody wear them now. No. But also spit. You have 50 plus full uniforms. <laughs> have, we, have we established the spear version of France? We, we haven't. I mean, we have like, had French. We don't need to. I'm just curious. Accents. We have, have had we, French people. That's yeah, true. Um, yeah. We and in some bonus content that that is currently mid production, uh, we have at least a region that is France like, where where there are more French accents. But the thing that we've typically been doing with a lot of our cultural world building surrounding European cultures is we've just been mashing them up together. The only except, well, I mean, not even, uh, Nordia is not really an exception because it's kind of like all Norwegian countries got smashed together. Mm. Yeah, um, every Norwegian country like Norway and... <laughs> uh, well, w I mean... You you know exactly what I mean. Um, <laughs> I don't need to explain myself to you. I'm the fucking boss. Wait a minute. <laughs> 
because we got Switzerland, Sweden, and all those places all mashed up into uh, Nordia. So we could do a mashup between France and somewhere else, which could be a little fun. But we we also don't need to decide that right now. Johnny did look like he had an idea, though. Well, so I'm thinking of specifically these sexy little outfits. These fun little numbers. Who is it? What if it was like the f- cut and style of that we're all familiar with for the sexy outfit mm-hmm. but then right. it has like warmer brighter spanish colors so we've got like oh. some spain and france mixed together ooh okay i got some spain in your france you got some france in my spain mm-hmm. um two great tastes that probably <laughs> taste great together uh yeah so they're just colorful they're they're very like <laughs> colorful but they they are the 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 french made cut it, i have one more question that's significantly less important <laughs> how did we as a as a as a world people um, land on at one point did maids in france really wear the sexy outfit or something like it you know what i mean yeah you know i i when i think of that outfit I typically think of it as being the outfit of a servant in a English household. So I don't know. Maybe there was a period where wealthy British people were importing maids from France. I don't know. I don't know. Just just something to think about. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> Some someone knows the answer to this. There is someone out there listening to this right now that is like shaking their podcast downloading device and screaming the correct answer. In France, we just call them maids. <laughs> <laughs> Spit has like lined up, inspected the crew of the glass. All right, I'm gonna be honest. The work that you're about to go through in there, it's not gonna be pleasant. It's not going to be easy. The only place on that ship that has seen a cleaning in an acceptable time window is the bathroom. (laughs) Everything else needs a thorough deep clean. Some of you might not make it back alive. (laughs) But those of you that don't will be remembered as heroes. There, there's just like, there's like a snare drum boy, just. <laughs> um, we cut to twenty years in the future. A uh, little kid, maybe not twenty years. I don't know. We cut to some point in the future. I can't figure it out. I don't care. A little kid is with um, his parent, and they're going up to a big memorial that has a bunch of names engraved in it, and they. <laughs> put a piece of paper over their other parent's name who died while cleaning (laughs) this ship and scribble over it. Oh, no. (laughs) Matt Matt Damon is cleaning the floor and you see his face transform into an old man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So good. So we get a montage of the crew of the glass cleaning the ship and it is like a montage that we would have for a battle like there is you know you got Barney McGee kind of on his knees swabbing the deck by hand and like this is just for effect and we're gonna say very because I don't think this scene is well shot I think it is pretty tacky Zach 
Snyder style, like <laughs> slow motion freeze frames yep. of like yep. explosions and whatnot oh. happening. So as since people it's, are cleaning, since it's Zack Snyder style, all these colorful uniforms do just look like traditional French made <laughs> uniforms. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I do. I really want to point out that when we see the lineup, they are colorful. When we see them in action, all of the color has been all drained the life. from the screen. <laughs> and I, and I really want to convey to our audience that in this scene, there were jokes. They were removed. They were removed. There are fewer jokes in this. There are no jokes appearing in this. But yeah, like we see this explosion in, in swapping the deck. We see Brian Boru at the heart bell. He's got like a little toothbrush. He's like scrubbing off <laughs> some of the names in the heart bell. I think, again, because we're going with Zack Snyder on this one, there is a slow sort of contemplative emotional arrangement of a familiar pop song um, <laughs> that's playing. Uh, Johnny, you are our pop music expert. What, what, what do we have a slow emotional remix of playing? I mean, the this is a real song, but the first thing that comes to mind is the um, version of the Tears for Fears song that's in fucking Donnie Darko. Oh, huh. <laughs> what? What is it? I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. But that's a yeah. real one. So if you want me to come up with another one, oh yeah, I do want you to come up with another one in the same in the same style. I think that it's probably. Um, oh, is it an even sadder version of "Lucky" by Britney Spears? <laughs> yes. There we go. <laughs> that's it. She's so lucky. <laughs> Jesus star. <laughs> yeah. So it like we're getting explosions, we're getting like just looks of anguish on everyone's face as as they are cleaning. There's sweat dripping down. I think there is a moment where we have Bodica is cradling one of one of her crewmates who is like passed out in her arms like just Crying to the heavens uh, as there are like feathers from a feather duster, which I want to point out these feather dusters, they're not like ostrich feather dusters or whatever that you, that they were like colorful feather dusters. Peacock feather dusters. These are feathers like taken from from a parrot or something like that. Um, But again, they have been drained of color for this Zack Snyder directed montage. And so Bodica is just like cradling in her arms this person who's face is like covered in feathers um, <laughs> a feather now I, floats down lands in a pool of blood <laughs> yes yeah well I mean that that's that is the scene that indicates to us that somebody has died because like <laughs> it is that perfect metaphor of somebody dying with like a little feather just floating down to the ground and then um, the, after the feather sits on the ground for a minute a gust of wind blows it and then you follow the feather and then it lands in front of that little little kid in front of the memorial oh. that's how that's how we see them <laughs> yeah yeah uh, Zach is definitely having his day intercutting between the future and the past on this one. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, why did we do this? Well, people demanded it and apparently you just give in to those. Um, <laughs> so we cut over to Liz. I want you to confront Ku now here, I think. Okay. This is a good place to confront Ku. And should it happen in Dref's office or the captain's quarters? 
Probably not the captain's quarters. Okay. Because that's or, his- or yeah, like in the aviary, like where where on the ship? Because you got to come gloat. I think is. Oh yeah, the aviary. Uh, I think what's happening is that I'm a floor above him, and he's trying to clean, and I keep on like dropping hay on top of him. Like, <laughs> oh, you missed a spot. You missed a spot, sir. Can yep. can flee like shit on command? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, all the birds are just like deliberately making a mess, like kicking out hay and pellets at him. <laughs> Yeah, like the thing is, I feel like maybe maybe Flea could could shit on command or something, but like Lucas is smart enough to understand when someone is cleaning his pen and definitely has the motivation to make that job a nightmare. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, I yeah, I, I think we see Ku Cullen. We can see the woad of his tattoos. We can see that his hair has been pulled back into a top knot. You know, like top knot can look fine on some people. Koo has a way of making it look a little bit douchey. Mm-hmm. Um, every, right everything here. about this outfit is is rolled up. <laughs> Uh, and like he's just finished cleaning the floor and like Lucas like kind of pecks at a bale of hay and the uh, string that's binding it like comes loose and it just explodes all over the floor and Gable is above kind of looking down at Koo. What, what do you do, Gable? What do you say? I don't think I've ever seen someone be so owned. <laughs> Oh, hey, you never seen someone so owned. Well, then good for you. Oh, you can you can bite back. It's okay. I won't tell on you. You don't need to be polite to me just because I'm better than you in every way. Mr. Gable, if I were to show you that you're not better than me, I think there's a very good chance one of us wouldn't walk away from that. Oh, you've already shown your hand several times over. You only saw the start. You don't know. You don't know how far I could take it. Oh. And you wouldn't want to know. Oh. It would break your precious little heart to oh. see. Oh, well, you missed a spot. Uh, well, no, yeah. that's Gable kicking over a, a jug of mead. Oh, man. Yeah. So, like, the mead pours across the floor. That's going to stain. That's going to, I'm going to have to sand down the boards. No. Mm. And, I think Ku takes the rag and like slaps it into the mead and just like splashes some of the mead at Gable at whatever Gable is wearing right now. What 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 is what is the party outfit that gets ruined? <laughs> uh what do I have regular shirts? I'm not sure. <laughs> Cuz they're all tits out. Um mm-hmm. it it I think I, I borrowed a, a very fancy white shirt that is mm-hmm. that was supposed to be like my my fun party shirt, and it's just nice enough. Like this is going to be impossible to wash. I'm going to have to hand wash this. I'm never going to do that. It's going to be at the bottom of my hamper for weeks. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with I you? try to tell a few good-natured jokes and you turn it into an intership incident and then 
I tried to have a bit of a dance with you, and you throw me to the ground like some kind of a meteor, and you tie my hair into a net with your vicious little animal friend. You decided to be an asshole, and I've been in retaliation to you being an asshole for the past 24 hours, and I have proceeded to fight you and beat you in every which way I have forced you to bend to my will, and yet you are still here. And you won't go away. And I can't stop thinking about you and how much I don't care for you. Ku, like, steps up to Gable, you know, and this it looks like a typical we're about to fight step up. And you can see his eyes and you can see them change. I want you to make a perception check, Liz. <laughs> Cool, Cullen. Oh, God, my perception. (laughs) 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 Laughable, laughable. Gable sees that Ku has hair. Yes. Uh, What's the difficulty? I am going to put it at hard. Well, odds are not in my flavor. Oh, that is... Oh, interesting. That is a success in two threats. Oh, God, this is perfect. So you see Ku's eyes... And you see a flicker in them. At first, you know, there is a possibility that it could have just been the change of the light or something. And especially because we're just coming off of the Zack Snyder directed scene, maybe some color is just starting to leak back into our narrative. So you're noticing that for the first time. But after you study harder, you, you, you realize that it's true. Ku's eyes are I think normally they're probably like a sort of steely lighter green but they start to shift into a dark and almost glowing emerald as you stare into them and Gable during the the even their best moments is kind of making connections between things is not their strong suit. They have other people around them to do that. They don't normally need to bother with it. But you have seen this green before. This green is a similar green to what the raven who visited the Uhuru all those days ago to bring that message wore. This green is a similar green to the one that the Morrigan uses to decorate her outfits. This green flares up in Ku's eyes. And the thing that you notice about it, there is something inside you, deep and instinctual, that feels called to this almost as though you were made for this. Right now, looking at Ku, you can see the green of the Morrigan in his eyes starting to flare up, the sparks living behind it, as he moves towards you and grabs your shirt in his fist, holding it tightly. He is not pulling you. He is not moving you down to him. He is looking up at you because Ku, as tall and imposing as he is, is shorter than Gable and certainly less imposing. But the flare of his eyes bores into yours. What does Gable do with that? Interesting. I don't think they know enough to make a connection that like this may not be all him in there. 
So when Ku grabs their shirt, I think Gable grabs him by the forearm and puts enough pressure on in a way that is dipping down into their own berserkerness, uh, their own situation in a way that's indicating like, you should stop. Yeah. Oh, man. So like you do that. Gable's eyes dilate a little bit. It's not quite the full angelic, you know, my pupils have, have overtaken everything, but it is wide, almost like a cat's eyes, uh, the way they just take over everything. And your eyes and his look into each other's and you place that hand on his arm and squeeze and basically like pull yourselves back from the brink. And Ku is now breathing heavily. You know, Berserker, generally speaking, after you are done with that, you feel pretty exhausted. Ku pulls back, his eyes return to that, you know, steely, serene green. He's still got this bit of your shirt balled up in his fist. Well, if you'll have to hand wash it, I can take care of that for you. And he instead, like, starts to undo some of the toggles on Gable's shirt. And I feel like we can fade away on that cut. Hey heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Let's get things started off with a radvertisement. This one comes to us from your fam, Mads, Lark, Fen, Light, and Rat, and it goes out to bees! Buzz buzz, bitch, we're doxing your ass in the podcast you made us all listen to. So listen up, you gorgeous gremlin. Happy freaking birthday! You better enjoy your day and keep living big. Go out into the great big woods and cause your chaos mischief. We'll be right there beside you, hero. Take flight. Well, I think that message is just wonderful. Aggressive and confusing, but wonderful. Bees, I sincerely hope you enjoyed it because it used some words that I do not normally carry in my personal lexicon. And I'm not 100% that I can confidently pull them off, even after taking several takes to do it. It sounds like you have some wonderful friends that have your back no matter what. And really, that's what piracy is all about. Big thanks to Bees Fam for supporting the show. And big thanks to Bees for spreading the good word about Skyjacks and getting more people to listen. Heroes, I have a new book out this month, The Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide, a collection of prompts, activities, and mini-games to help you customize your game world for role-playing. If you like the world building we do here on Skyjacks, and you want a fun and easy way to add to your own game worlds, then this is the book that you've been waiting for. 
You can pick it up right now anywhere books are sold on all major online retailers at major brick and mortar bookstores and of course your friendly local indie brick and mortar. To find a listing of places you can get it, you can head to bit.ly slash ultimate world building. And if you already have yourself a copy, you could do me a huge favor and head over to Amazon and Goodreads and leave a review. You don't need to have picked up a book on Amazon in order to review it there. And trust me, my publisher takes Amazon reviews very seriously, and it would be a huge help if you could leave one. I am trying to get to 50 reviews within the first month of the book's release, because that lets my publisher know that I am doing a good job. And special to Skyjacks listeners, if you give me a screenshot of your review, uh, and tell me one of your favorite characters on the show uh, that is not a PC, you know, character that I control, I'll tell you a little fact about him. Why not? Let's see how that works. That might get overwhelming, uh, but we will see how it works. Definitely for the first big group of people that does it, I will try to hit everyone. If you want to see the book in action, you can join me on June 23rd because I'm going to be doing a live streaming event with Barbara's Bookstore at 6 p.m. Central Time. I'll be joined by my good friend, fantasy author Alexandra Rowland, where we'll be going through some of the exercises in the book to create a world of our own. It's sure to be a lot of fun, and I'd love to have a bunch of heroes come out and watch us do it. Once again, that'll be June 23rd at 6 p.m. Central Time. You can follow the link in our show notes to register for the event. Before we get back to the show, I want to take a quick moment and thank all of our backers on Patreon. I am working on getting the list of individual names. I, I'm sorry, I just, I cannot do it on my own, and I keep forgetting to ask for help when help is available but it will be done soon. In the meantime, I hope everyone enjoyed our Patreon bonus content with the crew from Skyjack's Courier's Call and Patrick Rothfuss, our very own Jolly Jack. I'm super excited about how that series came out. And I've got good news. We have already recorded the next bonus series. That has not yet gone into editing, but it will soon. I'm expecting that one to start airing sometime in July. A huge thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon already. We wouldn't be able to make this show without you. And a thank you to folks who are going to join us on the Patreon soon. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. I want to see the crowd watching Bathroom Barry's performance. This performance, we, we've built up a lot for this. Uh, there's part of me that thinks, like, there's no way that this can go but well. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I feel like in the end, like, people will walk away. It was like, oh, that was, was that a masterpiece? Holy shit. <laughs> Oh my god. I have been changed. His first name is Bathroom. Who knew he had it in him? <laughs> I think I think that there's maybe someone who wants to try and do that like replace the actor thing. Oh but, yes. And they're they're like about to and then something happens on stage and then they just start like crying because it was so <laughs> like moving. Yes. Like they're like <gasps> How could I have even dreamed? <laughs> yeah, I, I think sort of mid-performance, some of the ships that were docked around the stage area have like 
undocked and and been navigated closer so that you can fit more audience. They are sort of now balcony seats yes. uh, for what's happening. There are people from Ungoni. There are people from the Tempest. There is a- any members of the crew of the Uhuru that are not like drawn into the performance itself are sitting and watching. There is not a dry eye in the house at this point. And I, I feel like this is kind of a marathon thing. Like, yes, normally theater has has these highs and lows and whatnot. But imagine just like 20 minutes of straight tears. Some of them are tears of sorrow uh, from emotions that have unmoored you. Some of them are tears of joy, tears of laughter. All the emotions that you can possibly experience watching a piece of theater they're so intense they can only be expressed through weeping there's a moment where it's like we just see tears of of sorrow tears of joy people like like one single tear like just like very resolutely nodding yes and then we like do like a quick cut to the stage and like Barry's just doing like a slap percussion hip slap routine I'm on the deck I'm on the deck applause breaks throughout like yes ovations that last way too long we we have to continue the show please please stop (laughs) and it reaches the end of the performance that 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 final number where there is a dream ballet happening from the Ungoni Tempest Calling Dancers. There is, like, singing from the crew of the Uhuru. It's an orphan's like, children's chorus. Yes! Oh. Yes! The, the first ever performance of the Uhuru Orphan Children's Choir. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones singing Lucky. Yes, yes. She's a star, but she cries, cries, cries in her lonely heart. (laughs) (laughs) And you—you've got Barry there, center stage. The—the light is hitting him perfectly. Sweat is pouring from his brow. He is giving everything to this performance. And it reaches the crescendo, the swell, and then the fade. And there is no applause. There is no cheering. There's no clapping afterwards. What happens instead is flowers are thrown from the audience. And so many flowers are thrown at the stage and heap themselves upon the stage that it replaces the thunderous applause. It's just so many blooms <laughs> hit the stage as Barry gets buried up to his chest <laughs> in flowers, like in that final pose. It is magnificent. It is transformative. It makes everyone realize all of the beautiful things they already have in their life <laughs> and want to live as better people the next day. It is the epitome of art.
Chris Jones gives it two stars. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you can't please everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, in the fallout of all of this artistry of, of everybody kind of having witnessed this absolutely life-changing bit of theater, we pull back over the crowd and watching silently and stoically, but there's definitely an impact that it had, is Oromar Vale. And Oromar Vale turns across the crowd to see Sifa seated not far away. The two make eye contact with one another and they fade back from the crowd and find a quiet corner of Ungoni just between them. Sifa and Oromar stare into each other's eyes beneath the sparse and scattered stars, beneath the bright moonlight over Ungoni, and Oromar raises his hands as if to begin to sign, and Sifa raises her hand to stop him. I know that you have much to say to me. And I believe I have a similar amount that must be said to you. But right now, I can't imagine either of us walking away from this conversation feeling satisfied with what we are able to say. I am going to depart from this port tomorrow. And when I depart, it will be to oversee the construction of Ironside ships that will fulfill the ambition that sparked our partnership so long ago. You, I imagine, will leave to follow your own ambitions. Come back to me when you are able to talk through all the things that must be spoken through. Come back to me when you are ready to say all the things that you are ready to say. I will wait for that. And Oromar's hands lower down, and the two stare at each other once more. He steps towards her, and she steps towards him. And then they just turn and go their separate ways. I think I I want to see just other people on the crew have we seen like Nodo's drunk? I no, I feel like he's no. usually smoking rope. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then I, <laughs> I like the idea that like there's maybe a moment where um, Jonnet is just kind of like milling about, and then I don't know, he like steps outside to like get some air, and then like he's going for like a tiny little stroll, and then looks down like an alley or something like that. And like Nodos is just kind of like standing in the alley, just kind of like looking up. And John, it's like, goes up to Nodos like, Hey, Hey, Nodos, what's going on? And then he looks into Nodos eyes and Nodos is stoned. <laughs> Do you ever feel looking at the stars that they are looking <laughs> back? That they have seen your actions and weighed them. No, does. And Jonnet puts his 
the hand like very delicately on his shoulder. If the stars have seen what you've done, then they've also seen why you've done them. And I think it probably means that they would forgive you for the actions that you've taken. Nodos takes like a just a huge drag of rope. <laughs> it go, it goes from like a, a foot long of rope to like six inches, <laughs> like a cartoon cigar. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to leave you, and if you need me, I'll be I'll be close by. Nodos just nods. If they are seeing the things that I have done and why I have done them, then I must see why they have done the things they have done. And Nodos is just there. Yeah, know what? <laughs> having his moment. <laughs> Walk away. <laughs> and and Jonet, um, Jonet. He he turns around, he starts to walk away, and then there are several moments of like he slows down, looks back around, and is like, nah, he's fine. And then he keeps walking, and then he turns back around, and then he sees that Nodos is like sit, now sitting cross legged, fully, like straight up, still looking at the stars, like he's fine. He turns around, and he looks back one more time, and now Nodos is like on the ground, like laying. <laughs> and it's like, he'll be there, he'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> It'll be fine. Gosh. I think now we are ready for morning. We get this cool transition shot of like day spilling over Ungoni as some people have clearly celebrated throughout the evening. We can see in the morning the glass there are people who are you know taking their wounded at least one of their dead uh <laughs> back onto the glass having thoroughly cleaned the uhuru once per uh, one person is see- just like this can never happen again <laughs> <laughs> You know, but like, I I think the crew of the glass, like generally speaking, it is an embattled crew. They they come from a culture that has been dealt harsh blows by the world. These are people who found each other and found their ship after, you know, being assaulted by the world around them, by people who looked at their homes, at the people that they lived their lives with, at their lives, and saw things that they could take and took whatever actions they could to take them. They are no stranger to battle, and cleaning your ship was a battle. (laughs) And these people have at least coped with that life by reveling in it. So while they limp away, covered in bandages and uh, having barely survived, there is a pride radiating off them as we can see them staring back at the Uhuru with its features and fixtures glowing warmly in the sunlight. I want to know, where is Travis as, as he is about to watch the sunrise? I mean, maybe... Maybe like the crow's nest of the ship. You know, he's spent yeah. a lot of time there lately. 
Yeah, and Travis, uh, I, I just got to ask this. We have the dawn of a new day. We're, we're about to enter a, a new arc, as it were. I feel like the seasons may have changed from spring. Mm. Uh, what animal form emerges? Can we pull a luminary or, or some card to just tell us the season? Yeah, hold on here. Hang on here. I don't have an Illimat deck, so I'm trying to figure out what course. Well, to well, it. well. Someone forgot his Illimat deck. Hmm, For it's true. Skyjack's the podcast. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't forget it. I can't find it right now. Well, well, well. <laughs> I think we have winter here. Okay. Um. What so yeah, animal? like you're up in the crow's nest, like near your your snake tube but like a chill breeze moves through the air as you begin your transformation just another question because this is the option that travis has now did you make any preparations for this transformation i i feel like there wasn't really time yet so you know travis feels the pain of his bones turning to goop we we have the the familiar cracking and and snapping as he transforms into a rabbit then we move to jonnet jonnet where where are you it's the next morning i feel mm-hmm. like oh <laughs> jonnet is checking in on nodos he's he's kind of like shaking oh. him back awake hey bud how you doing and then we just we just see like a maybe a wide shot of them in the alley. Like Nodos mm-hmm. gets up, and then it actually wouldn't make sense because Nodos is much taller than Jonnet. But like, I, I kind of like the idea that Jonnet, like maybe Nodos passed out in that alley, and like <laughs> Jonnet had kind of like had to enlist the help of friends to move Nodos, but basically it took them all night to like get him into the ship it's just it's just he's just a big floppy tall man and just a being guided around like it's like weekend at bernie's but just they can't reach the top of him so his top half is definitely always over (laughs) (laughs) yeah i and you know i think the the people that helped you it it just makes the most sense we see johnny and we see grace o'malley like Everyone is tired. Like sun is is starting to pour in across the desert to Ungoni itself. <laughs> the three of you are absolutely fucking wrung out, exhausted. But it, it's that kind of like post party exhaustion, uh, something that really only exists in your teens and your twenties, where you still feel kind of good even though you're tired. You just spent all night like talking to your friends as you were going about the ridiculous task of moving this gangly ass man uh, from some random alley that he passed out in back onto the ship. I feel like in the the last the last leg of this endeavor, at one point they're like going, 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 and then Johnny's just like, wait. What the fuck are we doing? And then we hard cut to Nodos is now like suspended up by all everyone's different gliders. And the wind is kind of just like dragging him. His his feet are still like on the ground, but like as the wind is kind of lazily dragging him towards the uh towards the Uhuru. And then we get a shot of just like Johnny and Jonnet doing like a little fist bump, like, that was pretty sweet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. The floating 
passed out, man. Just, <laughs> he's like a bit. This is like a little bit like a Macy's Day parade float, I imagine. <laughs> like, they've tied these kites to him, so he's like a little bit hanging off the ground. And, like, you gotta... <laughs> <laughs> and I like I like the idea that like you had this idea at like 1 a.m. or something <laughs> at, at 2 a.m. So most of the night was just figuring out how to engineer yeah. getting this stuff onto him. It wasn't necessarily that you spent all this time doing that. It's like you spent hours sort of rigging this up and now finally the time is to, to pay off is like 6 a.m. or whatever. I know that life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, a, a great night was had by all. Jonnet definitely feels like he was in the engineering kids club. Like <laughs> this is the sort of nerd activity that I can easily see him getting embroiled in. Um, yeah. So then we we cut to Gable in an inn somewhere. There's a big picture window. Gable is looking out on it over the sky and the boats that are floating and you pan over and see in the bed Koo is just knocked out asleep snoring like a demon and Gable just kind of like settles themselves and then they realize like for the first time in like three days they can finally process everything that's happened and it's a very lonely moment Gable, I think you were looking out that big picture window and now, you know, the party has kind of wound down and a lot of excitement has wound down too, as this is a pretty big cap. You have spent from the moment that you captured this cargo from the civility, there was a big question hanging in the air of whether or not you would be able to resolve it, whether or not you would be able to bring you and your crew the thing that you earned after taking such a risk. And in that time, you know, you have thought about fleeing. You, you thought about abandoning everyone and just taking a bird and, and flying off into the night. You've seen people die. You've lost people who were close to you. You have changed your relationship with people who you have known for ages upon ages. But still... There is something in you that you are trying to unravel, something that you are worrying at. And you are very alone with that thing, looking out the window, up at the one still thing in the sky, the ever-present morning star. Uh, Liz, I, I want you to describe to me, I, I feel like Gable just has a feeling about the Morning Star. And the toughest thing for Gable is that it is a complicated feeling. There isn't a clear thing that you feel when looking at it, but you are compelled by it, drawn to it in some way. You've got this bit of ennui right now where you, you feel very lonely and isolated with yourself. And I think kind of this is going to indicate a little bit of what your journey is going to have to be in the next arc or so. What is Gable feeling here? I think it is. So the thing that Ormar has, what did you, what do we call it? The helm or? Uh, the, the crown. The crown. I think that was unlocking of like a core memory 
there. Not actually yes. re- remembering, but like it, that's that tether, like seeing that and not knowing what it is, is the same as seeing the morning star and not knowing what that is, but knowing that there's something moving cosmically with a great sense of power and connection that feels very tied to them. But also if they wanted to, they could just sort of ignore it. Like I'm not part of this anymore. This is not me. And it is only just now that they're realizing how inextricable that feeling is from what the rest of their life is going to be. Because otherwise, if they don't actually explore that, if they don't actually engage with this huge tether, something is going to happen to their life that is going to, it's kind of the feeling of inevitability. Like either I will die or I will address this. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's here's where I think we're at. Then there is a change in Gable from the past. I think you know we have seen Gable try to, when confronted with, with a hint of their past, just like gather up things, abandon the ship, and fly away. You were compelled to stay with the ship through the maelstrom because you were afraid the people around you would get hurt. Now, kind of everybody who is important in your life knows what is up. They know what is up with you, and they have their own stuff embroiled in this wild cosmic nonsense that has been weighing on you for so long. Um, So I, I feel like the tone of your connection is different now. So like you're in this loneliness, like you're, you're sitting with yourself in the morning, the morning star, uh, is pouring down at you, staring into you. You are kind of staring back. What does Gable do immediately after having kind of that existential moment? This is going to be a little, it's a little bit nuts. They feel that and there's a candle right next to them. And so they look at the tattoo that they got back in Burson. And like really quickly, they find a a needle, stick it into the flame, and then start trying to do a very quick stick and poke to try and cover it up. Oh, Hmm. wow. Cool. We, we, we do that, and I think the, the audience, like, sees that this is going to happen, but but we cut away from it before it does. So, like, we see, you know, Gable get hit with, with this ennui, maybe this this feeling of small, vulnerable, and, and lonely looking at the morning star. Then they become hard and resolute, and we cut away. We cut away to see Ungoni, the floating hexes of this magnificent, beautiful city as sky ships start to light their furnaces. Around the city, we can see the flames pour into the heat funnels, up into the envelopes, and the weave begin to spill out in a beautiful crimson, eventually glow as the ships take off and start to move in their separate directions, going secret places on Sphere where the Tempest Armada begins to lay its next plans. And of course, the final envelope that we see is that of the Uhuru. 
the weave glows a brilliant, beautiful crimson as it takes off to the sky. We can see the folks rushing about the top deck, beginning the preparations on the lines. We we move through to the cargo hold where we can see all of the magnificent treasures brought to the Uhuru by the Tempest Armada are, are secured. And then we move through the ship to the captain's quarters, to the map set in before Oromar Vale, to the captain's council surrounding him. I think actually as we move through the bowels of the ship, we definitely saw that Bathroom Barry is, you know, back in his place of comfort where he has some sort of small keepsake from the dream show that he always wanted to do and managed to enact exactly to his vision. But other than that, everything about his life is unchanged because it was already so much what he wanted out of life. What is that small keepsake? I mean, I feel like it's it's like a feather, but the feather has been like, oh wait, because we have like these like, Massive trees in Ngoni that... Yes, yes, Sita trees. Is it too much to be like, hey, you could preserve a flower in like by dipping it in that tree sap? (gasps) Oh, that's perfect. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of the flowers preserved with Sita sap, which, you know, it's almost like an instant amber. It's, Mm. It's a very, very cool effect. And that is tucked into one of these fat cherubic babies that we've got as kind of the general decorative air for the Uhuru bathroom. <laughs> uh, I'm going to rule because, like, we did talk about the fact that the sink is, like, little cherubs peeing, right? Like, that's that's how the sink works. I, I think those like cherubs... Like Anabuka and Beppo? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think those cherubs are like the general decorative air for the bathroom, so there is like a wall sconce that is one of these cherubs. But I also kind of want the cherubs of Sphere to be a little bit horrifying Mm -hmm. like they are a little bit more like actual biblical descriptions like some Enoch four ass descriptions (laughs) of angels so it's got the general kind of baby-esque look but it's got like way too many eyes and like those eyes are suns and and stuff like that this what why did we make these frescoes but definitely, like, like in, in its chubby little fingered hand, we, we've got this beautiful preserved flower. So we cut from bathroom Barry's bathroom to the captain's quarters to the map and Oromar Vale. Oromar sort of, like, stands over the map. There are some to his side. Like, I, I think at his side, we have spit on, on one side. Who's going to be on his other side? I mean, like, John, it's got to be there working on that map. Yeah, Gazing. yeah. It's it's Spit on the captain's right hand, Jonnet on the captain's left hand, both of them staring intently at the map. Where is Gable, Liz? By the door, I think that's going to be always their defensive position. Yeah, Gable Gable is, like, tucked up by the door. I feel like they've got their, their arms crossed. There's a bandage tied around their forearm. And Travis, where are you? In my Uh, pocket. I feel like since I'm a bunny, Mm -hmm. I'm probably on the table with the map. Just kind of (laughs) like hopping around. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a a question that I guess I can answer. 
but I'll leave it to everyone for a vote. You know how bunnies just like poop wherever they are? Yeah. <laughs> does, does Travis? I wish you didn't. <laughs> I hope you wouldn't. Or does the transformation do something to his metabolism and food? You know what I mean? Here, So here's my thing. Um, I do think that Travis, like, be having a human mind does have the ability to control where and when he poops. But he doesn't tell anyone that. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. Oh, man. Yuck. That's so fucking good. Yeah, okay. So this this entire adventure, whenever Travis is an animal, he's just been, like, we were to assume all these conversations, he has also been shitting. Not all. Not all. I think Bunny, no. yes. Bunny, yes. Because bunnies poop constantly, right? Isn't That's that their weird? Whole thing. It is. I guess I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I've never had a rabbit or anything like that. Uh, I, apparently, you can litter train them, oh. which is weird to me because, like, straight up, they do just poop constantly. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, Travis is just like, I mean, you he could litter train himself. It would be simple. <laughs> yeah, like, just go. <laughs> so much work. Why, why not just say, well, I'm a rabbit. Rabbits poop everywhere. Ugh. You've never been a rabbit. You don't know. <laughs> So yeah, Travis Travis is up on the table looking at the map as well. We pull out through the windows at the rear of the ship, at the, the back of the captain's quarters, and we see the Uhuru as it moves off into the distance towards the next adventure. And that is the end of our Ungoni arc. Scotty Jackson. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter at at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast... Paired. Travis Matago was played by Johnny O'Mara, who could be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs or on his podcast, Dilettante Ball. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this production was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find Arnie on Twitter at A R N E. P-A-R-R-O-T-T. And you can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, spelled C-A-S-E-Y-P-O-N-E-Y. Or on his own podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and the card game Illimat, property of Together Studios. The game used in this production is a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system that was created by a talented group of game designers who were fired by a private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. 
There are no kings. Take flight, heroes. Strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends ne'er to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com. <laughs> 